Is friendship colorblind? Welcome to Friends on Hand, the podcast where we explore the fine art of friendship. I'm Nancy Hand, networking and social confidence coach, and today we're talking to one of the coolest new people I've met in Memphis. Stephen Lytle and I have been friends for almost a year now. We met when he saved the day for us, and I mean that. He re-roofed our house, but the circumstances were wild, and it's a great story, but I'll tell that another time. And I liked him right away because of his honesty. I could tell, especially after renovating an older home, you meet a lot of people. I interviewed a lot of roofers, and I could tell he was the real deal. And as I got to know him better, we bonded over that old school positive thinking, Napoleon Hill and Zig Ziglar and Dale Carnegie and Mm. um, Tony Robbins. And we just had some really great conversations. And I know that Stephen Lytle has a great path ahead of him as a motivational speaker. Roofing is great. Contracting is great. But this, this guy has another gift. And he has generously come onto the show today and agreed to talk with me and have a candid conversation about how, how race and friendship go together and how we can meet in the spirit of friendship, no matter what color we are. So, Stephen, thank you. I have been looking forward to this. Yes, yes, me too. Welcome. Me too. Thank you so much for that introduction, Nancy. That was probably one of the best introductions I've ever had. Uh, <laughs> if I wasn't a motivational speaker before that, I definitely am one now. <laughs> oh, it's coming. It is coming. So I've really been looking forward to this, and I'm excited. I'm not sure where this conversation is going to end up, but I know I'm it's going to be a great one. Um, but earlier, right before we got on, I had a, a really great thought. Yeah. And um, you know what? I'm going to save that. Well, <laughs> I will have some a few questions to ask just before we get into our main topic. And I ask everybody these things, and it you do make friends very easily. And yes, I do. you're from, you know, you're from South Carolina. You're in Memphis. Memphis is so friendly. But of all the people that I've met, you're re- really one of the friendlier ones, and that says a lot because we're in a friendly place. Thank you. I appreciate that. First question, nature or nurture? Did, did you pop out like that or did you learn how to be um, that kind of uh, gregarious? Uh, I would definitely say nature. Oh. I've always been curious just about people in general. Um, I love people. I, I've never met a stranger in my life. Uh, matter of fact, I used to get in trouble for talking to strangers. My mom used to get <laughs> on to me about that. But uh, I've always had affinity for people people as young as I can remember uh, I just like people love people and uh, how I think the biggest thing is how all of us are uniquely different but the thing that I'd say fuels me or uh, (laughs) makes me passionate is whenever you find somebody so uniquely different about you but you find a similarity where where you click you know and you can talk to each other and understand each other in that area, you know? And so that's really, uh, I definitely say nature, hands down, no question, Nancy. Nice. Yeah. And um, how do you know when somebody's going to be a friend? How can you tell? Well, <laughs> it's kind of funny um, because my two best friends I have in life, uh, one's Joel, another's Joseph. And, uh, and I say that because my other two best friends are within my family. But these are two friends I've chosen outside of my family. Um, and I think that's exactly what friends are, right? People you choose 
to do life with that are outside your family that it's not mandatory to do. Um, mm-hmm. And so, but the weird thing, the seed of that friendship started out with us uh, kind of at odds, bumping heads. Um, but it, it quickly grew into something now, I would say, like a brotherhood. Uh, but I got to have a friend who's willing to challenge me and make me better. Because I get bored real easy. And and um, if I have a friend that's going to call me out, I'll never get better in life. So I always look for people like that. Yeah. And that actually rolls right into the next question, which is what, are the, what does friendship mean to you? And what are the, some of the key things you look for in a friend? Mm. Well, I'll tell you why I became friends with you, Nancy. And that'll <laughs> kind of make it easy. Uh, you are a person... There's one thing about me. Let me start off like this. There's one thing about me. I'm always smiling. I always smile. I smile a lot. Uh, but whenever I met Nancy, there is uh, an upbeatness and a positivity about her that uh, if you come in contact with her, you know, you know immediately. She's very enthusiastic, very excited about anything she's speaking or doing, and so just. That is such a great gift to have as a human being, as a person. And so whenever you hang around people like that, it rubs off on you. Um, But that's just something that I got to have. I got to have in my friendship, if you're not a person that gets jokes or uh, can roll with the punches, that's something that, you know, I have to have that in my friendship or I'll drive them crazy. (laughs) Uh, Here, here. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, the funny thing, like when you're always upbeat and you're always smiling and when you're not smiling, everybody's like, oh, my God, what's wrong? <laughs> That's so true. That is so true, Nancy. It, it takes on a whole other level when you do that. Um, so what's your best icebreaker? How do you how do you know what to say when you're meeting somebody new? I love this question and I love it for you. It is, it is a great question. For me, it really depends on the person because like generally if you look at a person Right. Um, you can tell uh, if they're like a happy go looking person just by their body language. Right. If a person doesn't want to talk to you, most of the time they won't be facing you. Yeah. They'll try to avoid you. Um, so with me, my starter in every conversation, new or old, is a smile, a smile and eye contact. Uh, so I think that just sets the tempo, sets your intentions up front. It puts the person at ease, you know, uh, and then after that, just, hey. That's how I really started all my uh, my friendships. I smile and then just, hey, how you doing today? I'm Steven. You know, and then just go from there. Um, but I think the most important thing is that smile. Like people underestimate, in my opinion, my humble opinion, just the power of a smile and what it does for yourself internally, right? And then what it could do for other people. Uh, and so I just, I really believe in the smile. Um, I think it's a very powerful tool that everybody needs to use in their life to make their life better and the world better. Love it. So have you found your, uh, I'm going to say your age, but you're, you're younger than me, <laughs> but you know, you're, you're, you're an adult now. Have yeah. you found it different for you making friends as you grow through life? Yes. Really? Yes. Okay. Tell me. Okay, so I think um, the older a person gets, right, you experience more things in life, positive and negative. 
and uh, it's a lot easier for an older person to be a little harsher or a little uh, have a higher degree of apathy in life because they've experienced so much, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think at an older age, um, you'll know very, very quickly if somebody mm-hmm. wants to be friends with you or not. You'll know quickly. <laughs> and uh, so I think that's the thing. But really, honestly, Nancy, um, I've also found that if the older you get, like if you're going to be friends with somebody, there's nothing you can do about it. Like if y'all click, generally, like me and you, there's mm-hmm. nothing me and you could do about it. We're going to be friends. After the first time we talked to each other, just I felt that. I'm sure you felt that. Um, and so I think at an older age, it kind of happens more naturally than at a younger age. But um, I definitely think uh, there's a difference for sure. You just brought up a point that I haven't heard before. So thank you for that. And that is okay. the... I. I hadn't thought about it in terms of life experience being um, being something that would make someone more apathetic or guarded. Of course it does because, you know, people have gone through a lot more um, relationship things by the time they reach their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. So Absolutely. I get that. But by the same token, I do think that it makes it when things are right, it's more like a laser. It's more like instant. And it, I think that that experience helps you to cut through, cut through the static that would be, you know, that would keep you from connecting well with somebody. Absolutely. So interesting point. I like that a lot. Thanks. And finally, for my stock questions, I got a good one. Okay. What do you, how do you, have you had someone not support you? Have you had to let a friend go? And how did that work out? Absolutely. Absolutely. I have. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. So I'll make it. Uh, I'm not going to say the person's name. No, no. Uh, but it just came to a point in my life where I made my like the intentions for the rest of my life. Um, Go, Stephen. <laughs> yes, the intentions for the rest of my life clear. Yeah. Uh, because I wanted to do two things in that situation. I wanted to make sure. He knew where I was headed and also just give him an opportunity. Like, if you want to go there with me, brother, like, you can, man. Um, but I had a I had an old man tell me, generally, whenever you got to leave a friend, um, it's not that you're doing something wrong. Your friend's just walking the opposite direction. There's going to be a certain point where y'all can't even communicate with each other because y'all are in two different parts of life. Y'all are aiming for two different things. You know, and so with this particular guy, I kind of told him um, that I thought I was meant for something, uh, I'd say greater, but just that I wasn't reaching my full potential and I was not happy with my life and where I was. And his response to me was, everybody feels like that, Stephen. Mm. And at that point, I was like, okay, okay, this is going to be. This is going to be something I'm going to have to separate myself from just so I can reach my potential, you know? Yeah. And, and that is necessary. And you never know, like, that could actually help the person you're cutting off. Exactly. And what he did, everybody feels that way, was like, it's like classic invalidation. <laughs> yes. 
you know, yeah, you should be happy. <laughs> exactly. You know? I, I agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah. That's, what that's, if, that's good. I'm loving this conversation already. Okay, let me ask you so, that, Nancy. Cause I'm me. curious of myself. Have yeah. you, have you been in that position? Letting, letting people go. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Um, somebody I, I've, you might notice that I am self-employed and a lone wolf, sort of. Um, I have my team, but I had a partner one time, and the the visions diverged big yeah. time. And we were we were really good friends. You don't you don't go into business with somebody you don't really like, too. Um, True. And it was it was a matter of um, it was a negativity. Oh my! Mm-hmm. And and it. And I knew where it was coming from. It was coming with from within their family, and uh, the, it, I was hearing it was hearing the voice of family piping through this person in a negative way. I'm like, I, I can't, you know. This is we're we're adults in business, and the negativity that's coming to you is affecting you, and it's affecting me, and it's not how I want to live. And it was it was tough because yeah, there, was, yeah. there was a lot of love there too. But, you know, it was, it was drowning the business, frankly. And it was, it hadn't, but it was headed that direction. And so, um, I cut ties. I had to. I understand that. There's, you know, there's, there's a wistfulness there for me because I wish that had worked out, but if it had, I wouldn't be here and I love this life. So everything does happen for a reason. And even if you don't see it in the moment and you're like, oh, dang, um, and that is one of the things that reminds me constantly, like, this is this is just going to get better and better and better and better. I, Nancy, when I tell you, I wholeheartedly agree with you on that. And just to the, the bounce off of that, um, there's a lot of times you can't see exactly how your actions today are going to impact tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, so be true to yourself. Anybody that's listening to this, be true to yourself. Learn yourself. Um, but a perfect example of that is me being a motivational speaker. I thought about that for a long, long time. I've studied, I've mm-hmm. read so many books, listened to so many podcasts and, and seminars. Uh, but until, and Nancy may not know this, but until I met Nancy, <gasps> until I met Nancy, look, I don't know. Like, I definitely, if I didn't meet her, I would not be here on this podcast, right? But, but also I want to know as much as I know now about really the opportunity that I have to do that. And it is possible. Oh yeah. You know, absolutely. And so because I treated Nancy, right. There was a friendship that cultivated and now we're here, but that was what a, almost a year ago, Nancy. Mm-hmm. And so that's just, that's just a testament to what she says. I believe that wholeheartedly. And that's just a example of it. I had to say that. Cause I really do appreciate you letting me on this show. This I podcast here, Nancy. I almost titled this podcast Diapers in the Attic, but then I thought, no, nobody really understands that. <laughs> that would have been great. <laughs> That's seriously going to be the, the, the title of my book on home renovation if I ever do one. Oh, I'll, I'll buy the first copy. <laughs> so speaking of, of change and not knowing how our actions today will affect tomorrow, let's jump in a little bit into our topic here, which yes. is, look, we are... Uh, murder hornets and covids and and um all the things that are going on right now 
George Floyd and there's so much happening right now and so much change. It's like, like, yes, yes. It's like the universe has literally taken the garage and dumped it all onto the driveway and said, deal with it now. Now. And yeah. <laughs> oh, and there's a storm coming, so you need to get it put back together pretty quick. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it feels to me. Like, oh my God. So, oh, um, it, it seemed like we had a big uproar and then things settled down a little and now COVID's coming back and I'm not hearing as much and, and I'll be candid with you about this. I had to tune out the news and it's been 12 days of newsless Nancy and I'm sleeping so much better. Um, I just needed to take a break from the hubbub. Um, but it, I'm not seeing as much on social media about race, which is yeah. a little bit disturbing. Okay. Um, and I want to know that what, what has gone on is actually going to have an effect. And here I'll talk about the thing that Stephen and I did before we, um, before we came on the podcast. Harvard University has Project Implicit. It's projectimplicit.org. And you can go there and take tests to, to test your own internal biases on a, a whole myriad of things, including um, ethnicity and race and ability and age, sex, gender, the whole shebang, and he and I took the race implicit test. And I will tell you, um, I'm I, eager to hear what yours was. Huh? I'm eager to hear what yours was. <laughs> I'm slightly biased against black. Yeah. And um, considering my background from South Louisiana, my dad was was very much a racist. Yeah. But wow. he, he was. I've thought a lot about this since our first conversation. My mom was not. Um, she was a snob, but it was an education snob. And if you were smart enough to learn and didn't learn, then she didn't want to be around you. That, okay. Literally, <laughs> that's that's where, you know, that's probably half why I'm an achiever. But dad talked big game, but but was was always very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Considerate and respectful. Oh. It with blacks in person. So it was kind of a mixed message there, but he did talk a big game. And like yeah. I told you on our phone call way back when, there are there are punchlines in my head I'll never be able to forget. Mm-hmm. And you know, South Louisiana is what it is. And it is. it's not it's not all racist, but we're in the South, you know? And yeah. the history is here and the the messages are are very subtle. And that's one of the things I'd like to talk to you about. So how did you test? So I tested. I'm more, uh, I'm more racist towards uh, whites. Interesting. You know, it is, and I'm like, is that because racially, you know, we're different? Um, but I'll tell you, growing up, single parent home, my mom, uh, not racist at all. Not a racist bone in her body. Uh, however. <laughs> However, since my dad wasn't there, my granddad raised me, and uh, my granddad definitely um, had racist tendencies. Um, he'd tell me stories about his mom, my grandmother Ruby, who lived to be 97. Sweet. Yes, and uh, her picking cotton and all that, and him walking to school and people saying stuff to him, and, um, you know, he... <laughs> I'm not going to sugarcoat it. He had an affinity uh, for white women. My grandmother's white. Mm-hmm. And so he said back in the day, like whenever he would pursue 
right, a white girl then, um, or a white lady, the dads would all, like, dads have pulled shotguns on them and stuff like that, called them all kind of out of his, out of his name, um, you know, N-word, uh, you know, coon, all that type of stuff. So for him, it's kind of hard for me not to, I mean, not hard for me, but I understand why he would be, you know, experiencing mm-hmm. that prejudice and that hate. Once again, you got to think, whatever you're around, that affects you in that way. So if you're constantly around prejudice and hate, it's going to be hard not to hate, you know, or reciprocate that same uh, same feeling. Um, but yeah. for, for me, I'm like, uh, I definitely have uh, tendencies. And I think for me, it is based on my experiences that I've had. Um, where there's been outright unashamed racism towards me, the N-word, and uh, <laughs> you're a good guy, but, you know, you can't date my daughter because, you know, he's trying to save face or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I, I definitely say that I, I have some racist tendencies, and I figured that you'd say the same, Nancy, but the question I was, when I was thinking about this, I wonder, like, is that something that you can overcome or do you think that'll be something that you learn to control? Both, I think. And and we, we talked about that, too, a little bit. And it's it's. I think the things that you hear and you learn when you're a kid, you know, when you're you know, three, four five years old are the those are the things that take effort to change. And the stuff you learned yesterday or last week, eh, big deal. You can change that. It's no big deal. We just moved the coffee cups in our house. Yes. A week ago. And, and I'm still going to the wrong I'm still going to the wrong cabinet. I mean, that's something just so simple and dumb. And and I'm a smart person. I know where the coffee cups are, but I've been Pavlov would be proud. I'm totally trained to get the coffee cups out of this one cabinet. And so I'm constantly turning back around. Um and I know the changes for the better, Stephen, but you know, it's still hard. Um Very. So, but the things that, that are ingrained way back when, you know, that's like tying your shoelace and riding a bike and it, to unlearn those things does take, I think, um, mindfulness, purpose, and in some uh, degree of consistency. And I, so. I agree with that wholeheartedly. That last word is huge. Consistency. You asked me on the phone call, we, we had, we had a great little phone call and I think I had had like a, a glass of wine or so, so I was really being candid, but you said, when does it happen for you? And my my reply was, um, like at a super fancy restaurant, and it's it's fleeting, you know, because yeah. as a kid, you know, we go out to eat the you know the fancy country club restaurants. There weren't any black people, you know, not yeah. at the table, and so it's 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 a fleeting thing, caught, and corralled, and and corrected. Ooh, I like that. I just uh, made that up. <laughs> Not corralled and corrected. Like, hey, no, that's the old magic coming up. Quit that. And I think being able to mindfully recognize it and consistently um, change the thought pattern in the in the moment is working, has worked in the past too. Yes. So mm-hmm. I agree with if that, Nancy. That makes any sense. And so um, I would like know, to add something to that though. Sure. If I can. Uh, I think a big part of it is 
what you said. Um, but also, like, you talk about your dad. I talk about my grandfather, who was like my dad. You kind of want to be like them when you're younger, right? And so, with that being said, it's, I feel like your love for them maybe uh, blinds you to the hate, you know, the, the hateful habits that you're learning. I think that's what happened with me. I love my granddad so much. There's nothing he could say to me that I didn't believe, mm. you know? Uh, mm. And so I think that love there uh, for your for your father, your mother, your family, just your parents in general, I think it'd be hard if your parents are racist not to be a racist. It's not that you're being intentional about it, but, I mean, your parents are your leader at a young age, you know, and they teach you right from wrong, and they love you. And so it, it, it would kind of be hard not to be a racist well, in that situation about, you know yeah and i mean when you're when you're up until a certain age you are there's a there's a, a whole survival thing that's kicking in too you do not want to go against the grain of the family because you might get kicked out and then you're yeah. toast on the street because you're only eight right Absolutely. Um, but also especially with your grandfather and my dad those were i'm i'm gonna guess the most powerful people in your world Yes, hands down, no question. And and there's there's that aspect of it too. And you know, I'm the baby of the family, so if you're looking at the me too, <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> Yay, baby of the family. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, but when you know you want to, you don't want to be the vulnerable one and all of that. And I will say, if I'd taken that implicit test when I was 12, it would have been a different answer, a much different answer. But um, wow, I think that. I think that friendships have gone a long way, a long way toward toward my mindset in that respect because um, I have had black friends, and um, and I don't know if I mentioned this to you before. When I was a little bitty kid, um, we had a lady who would come from far away, from North North Baton Rouge rather, and she would arrive arrive unannounced <laughs> with like. Seriously, Lena would show up. And, and I need to talk to my brother about this because he can give me all this information. But she would show up randomly after dark. And she was got to be like 150 years old. She was so old. Um, I don't know how she got to the house. But she would come with a bushel of, of the best vegetables. She'd bring greens and corn and carrots and tomatoes and squash. And Lena would come. And my mom would make the biggest fuss over her. It was like, it was like an angel at the door. And... I think little things like that, good interactions like that from an early age with someone of a different race. Was Lena black? Yes, she was very black. Oh, wow. See, I, I didn't know that. Okay. Oh, but sorry. I missed that. <laughs> she would show she, up unannounced at your house at night? Child perception. They may have known she was coming, but when she oh. would show up, it was like a surprise every time. Oh, my God. Lena's wow. here. Okay. Okay. That's really cool. <laughs> like start the coffee. Lena's here. And, but my mom always made such a big deal about it and, and was so like re reverent toward her that I knew she was important. I knew she was special. And, um, that like little things like that kid memory snippets from your three, four, five years old do make a difference and they do carry over. And I'm sure that that has had an effect on me, um, with regard to race as well. Um, so, May I ask you about your lovely, beautiful wife and how, oh, how that worked out and what it's like to be in an interracial marriage? Yes, absolutely. So 
Oh, uh, you're about to have baby number two. I do. September 12th. Uh, they're going to be here. We're going to be surprised. We don't know the sex yet or anything. It's going to be completely surprised. So It's another boy. I'm calling. I know it is. No, That's why I told her. her. She doesn't believe me. My mom doesn't believe me. But right now on this podcast, look, it's, it's this is record. It's not here yet. It's a boy. It's a boy. Um, yeah. But so the funny thing is um, about interracial marriage, my grandfather being married to my grandmother, I really didn't realize uh, the difference in races, really. Even when I was in um, South Carolina, I didn't realize that there was a tension there because that, I thought that was normal. Two people love each other, of course they're going to be together. You know? Until I got a little older and uh, maybe it was my grandfather shielding me in a way but the older you get, you realize that people like different around certain people. There's inconsistencies, you know. And I remember, <laughs> I remember talking to um, this older black lady, you know, and just telling her that I was definitely going to marry a white lady because my granddad married a white lady. You know, I'll be just like him. And I remember her telling me that, nah, they don't. They don't like you mixing with their kind, man. And that's not going to happen. You'll, you'll, it'll be a hard life if you do that. And I remember thinking about that. I was like, what do you mean? It's not going to be a hard life. My gra- I, I stayed with my grandfather. We had a great time. Uh, and I remember asking my mother about it. And uh, my mother with her gentle, gentle voice told me, yeah, there's some people in the world that would treat you differently because you're a different color. Just like there are people who are slaves because they were different colors. Um, and just like Hitler, uh, what he did the Jews because they're a different race. People are like that, Stephen. Not everybody's like that, but there are people like that. So um, going forward to meeting my beautiful, beautiful wife, uh, I think at a certain point, because there's definitely been some um, with an interracial marriage, like I just want to, I want to definitely tell this story. Please. Um, two different stories, um, just because the whole racial injustice with cops. Um, so here in Memphis, I was leaving the movie theater, and uh, <laughs> cop pulled me over, asked if I had any drugs or money in the car with me Mm -hmm. and then asked my wife to get her wallet out and as soon as she went to grab her wallet pulled his gun out (gasps) and was like well I didn't know what you were doing you know and so I was like okay that's 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 a little weird you know you're asking me questions like that I and in no way was uh like dressed in any way my car didn't smell any kind of way you know Uh, so that that kind of shocked me, and I asked Elizabeth, I was like, wasn't that just a little bit weird? She's like, yes. A hundred percent it was weird, and then we went down to Texas for a friend's wedding, and uh, it was probably the one that had the most the most impact on me. From Texas to Memphis. Get pulled over by a cop. Asked him, uh, officer, you know, why, why did I get pulled over? He said, well, you were swerving a little bit. Hmm? I said, I was swerving a little bit. 
did I go outside the lines? Or he said, no, but your car was just moving a little frantically, and I just wanted to check it out. Uh, go and get out of the car. I was like, step out of the car? He's like, yeah, get out of the car. I was like, okay, yes, sir. So I complied, and that's one thing I think that I'm in that situation, um, even if you're being dealt with uh, unjustly, you still got to have wisdom mm-hmm. in that situation. Um, you can't have an ego. <laughs> and so he told me to get out. He said, sir, uh, are there any automatic weapons, large sums of money, or large, uh, large amounts of drugs in your car? I said, no, sir. He said, well, why are you in Texas and you have Tennessee license plate? I said, I'm down here for a friend's wedding. He said, okay, be quiet. Don't say another word. And went over to my wife, asked if I was <laughs> if I was harassing her, and then asked what we were doing down there. And so I was like, okay. Maybe he's just doing his job. And so then another cop pulls up, tells me I can't talk to my wife for the officer's safety. So I sit there. I'm like, okay, I'm definitely being racially profiled. But I'm going to let him do anything. I said, officer, I don't have to let you search my car, but I want you to search my car. So I'm search my car, get back in the car. I tell the officer, I said, look, officer, <laughs> I want to let you know that I understand exactly what's going on here. I know you're racially profiling me. But I thought to myself, if I make a big deal about this, then most likely you're going to make my life a living hell. And... It shot me because the officer was like, he said, you know, you are a wise young man. And I, when he told me that, like, I just couldn't believe it. Like, he accepted the fact that he was racially profiling. Yeah, he complimented me, but he didn't apologize to me. You know? And, I wish you could see my face right now. <laughs> and so wow. that was bad, but what made it worse is, I kid you not, 10 minutes down the road, I got pulled over again. Get out. No. Cop walks up to my walks up to my window. I wrote it down and said, sir, would you like me to get out of the car? I want, you, I want to go ahead and let you know I don't have any large drugs, large money, large sums of money, any type of automatic weapons. I came down to Texas. I know I have a Tennessee license plate to see a friend uh, get married, sir. And when I said that to the officer, uh, the look on his face said everything to me. I was I said, I just got stopped 10 minutes ago, and he asked me the same question. So I just wanted to go ahead and give you that information just in case that's what you're going to ask me. And uh, he didn't make me get out of the car. He said, if, you're, uh, if your license comes back clean, your license plate comes back clean, don't worry about anything. Why did he pull you over, the second one? Same thing. <laughs> he said, I was swer- my, my car was swerving a little bit. And... Uh, <laughs> I just I said, okay, I've been in that situation 10 minutes ago, so I'm just going to give him the same information. But after that happened to me, I was like, it really, uh, like that just, that shot, like it, it, it hit home for me, actually. I would say that it hit home yeah. for me, just how serious that is and how many times that happens, uh, n- not in a day, not in a month, but in a, in, in, no, in a day, not in a year, not in a month, but just in one day. <laughs> In an hour. One day. Yeah, exactly. That was 30 minutes of my time. I got pulled over twice without breaking the law. Wow. So uh, it puts a stress in that situation. And then also, um, (laughs) 
whenever I hang around certain people, like there was a, a pub I go to, um, and I'd go after work to get a beer, uh, maybe a burger. And when I finally brought my wife in there one day, it was crazy how and this, this pub is majority white. Um, when I brought my wife in there, it was just crazy how from that point on, they looked at me and treated me differently. Really? Yeah. So I, that actually leads right into one of my next questions, which is how, what are the subtle acts that you see happening? And I know we, we are very, well, becoming more and more aware of the more overt things that, that are like in your face. But what about the sly little things? Uh, like I that. would say um, the subtle things are... <laughs> Like one thing that it's just, and this could be pure uh, selflessness, but maybe not. I don't think it is. If I can be uh, candid with you, Nancy, mm -hmm. like anytime I get in the car with somebody, if they don't know me that well, they automatically play rap music. <laughs> you know, like it's like, cause I have to like, rap music. I have to like that or, uh, <laughs> Uh, they'll call me homie or dog. And I'm like, okay. You know, try to change their, uh, change the, the tone and the accent of their voice. You know, to sound more uh, <laughs> ethnic or, uh -huh. or hood, quote unquote, as Memphis calls it. Hood. Right. So, I mean, that is that's one of the several things I see, but also in an interracial marriage, um, you also see how I do at least how black women will look at my wife in a certain way. Interesting. You know, and, uh, I definitely, I pick up on that and it, it, it used to irritate me. And I told my wife about it and she told me it doesn't bother her at all. Cause it's not a problem she has to face. Like, that's a problem they have to deal with on their own, you know, and whenever I get mm -hmm. irritated, she told me I'm making that problem that is theirs, my own. And I can never find a solution to that problem because that's theirs, you know. I agree completely. And um, I had like a list of questions. Do you act differently around your black friends than you do your white friends or family? Look, that's a, Nancy, whenever I looked at that question, I said, this is a <laughs> this is a great question because, yes, I do. And that's the, that's, that's the weird part. I think um, just culturally, mm -hmm. there are different things um, from black and white people that I hang out with. Let me not generalize there, but just the crowds I hang out with. Um, it's just a different environment. Uh, and so I, I tend to cater towards that. Definitely not in a racist way. Not in a racist way whatsoever, but I think I do that because um, I learn people. And uh, whenever you learn what somebody likes, that's when you have uh, generally the best conversations or you see that person have the most passion. So normally I will, I call it chameleon, you know, adapt to that situation or blend in, camouflage in that situation. Because um, I've been raised on both sides. So I was raised single parent home, uh, low income. My mom worked very, very hard. 
but at the same time, I went to ECS, a private school. Mm-hmm. So having the best of both, not the best of both worlds, but just being exposed to those, saturated in both of those. Yeah. You know, you learn that. You learn how to how to act like a, a preppy boy, you know, um, so that you don't stand out in a, in a bad way. Well, and that I actually linking back to to some of the subtle things the the rap music and stuff that's funny um but it's i guess it's you have to look at there 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 are good and bad ways of attempting to establish rapport and that that sounds like a lot of white clumsiness trying to get some sort of rapport with you but without having the training or knowing how to do that in a way that's actually respectful and natural and normal you know yes I agree with that. That's why I was like, it could be selfless. Yeah. So, so you come from, from a, a family where interracial marriage is normal. Did Elizabeth? And how was, how was her family uh, accepting of you? Uh, well, it was a little, <laughs> it wasn't just, you know, uh, roses. And at first, it used to get me so angry, you know, because I felt like I wasn't being given a chance at all um, to get this woman that I love to be a um, a gentleman or a to be chivalrous and ask her father for a hand, you know. Mm-hmm. And so that used to bother me. And of course, you know, first thing I said was racism. That's racist. <laughs> <laughs> But it was later on that I figured out that because I went to ECS and her father went to Christian Brothers, her brother went to Christian Brothers and MUS, um, just those those communities run pretty tightly together. And so I wasn't... Oh, so you're being snobbed for a different reason? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, well, no, when I, well, I was just a... When I was younger, I, hate this, I was just a punk. Like, I didn't care about anybody else. I was prideful, arrogant and uh, a partier and the older I got I realized that absolutely not you should have met me I've, I've told him this to his face so I have no problem saying that on on the air um, but I love Liz's dad and his, her dad has made it clear to me that he loves me you know and he's shown me that in action so I don't I don't doubt that at all but with him that's his only daughter and mm-hmm. so not meeting me and hearing stories that I'm sure uh, might have been stretched a little bit, but nevertheless mm-hmm. had some truth to them to entrust your precious baby girl to that, that individual, you know, that'd be hard. And there may be some animosity there, some uh, distancing or doubting or, um, you know, you might not want to meet them, not even give them a chance. So I, I do understand that as a parent now. I can understand the burden of that. Um, so I can't say where his heart was on that. I can just say how I felt about it. Um, but the thing about it is we've made amends about that. We've had a conversation about that. Nice. That, that's so good. And that's, yeah, that is necessary. Well, and that's, you gotta love you. Keep segueing me right into the thing. <laughs> and that, that is, that's where the healing happens. It's having that conversation and being candid and saying, Hey, listen, this is, this is what's underlying my behavior, my thoughts. This is my fear. And, and let's talk about 
maybe how we can meet in the middle. Um, and I, I know we're at 43 minutes now, but I want to just ask you, where do you see the most potential for healing and understanding and, and finding this common ground between races right now? Because I think we're, we're at a good start, yeah. but there's a lot a lot of work to be done. And the way I like to kind of liken it is there are really two ways for major change to happen. One is an earthquake, an earthquake or a volcano event, like cataclysmic. Yeah. And I think George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and um, yeah, the, there was a lot of potential for that there, but it still wasn't enough. And I think the other way that change happens is that consistency, consistency, consistency is the constant like correction and consistency and correction and consistency and yeah. um, being mindful and purposeful with things. And um, even, even taking the extra step of, of, making an active effort to integrate your friend circle and, yeah. and and reach out and make sure you have different friends. It's, um, it's okay. It's okay to actually look around and say, where do I have room for another friend in my world and who would I like to know more about and do that. But w- I would like to hear your thoughts on that conversation. And what do you think, where do you think you see the most potential? Okay. So I got a, I'm a t- it's going to be a little long-winded here, but I got to set it up. So originally in, in sixth grade, my plan to defeat racism was wow. everybody just interracially mar- married. Because if everybody's interracially married, all the races are mixed up, and you can't say one thing to another person, you know, about it. Uh-huh. So that was, uh, that, was my, that was my first take on it. Um, but, you know, as you get older, hopefully you get wiser. uh but I think the way, uh, or yeah, the way we're gonna have the most, uh, most impact and uh, and potential for healing is this: seek first to understand and not judge. Mm-hmm. And by that I mean uh, take the situation now with all the rioting um, and all the horrible things that happened. Uh, to those people uh, from the rioters, like people getting killed, stores getting uh, stolen from, and uh, I'm like, that is just crazy. And I had uh, somebody approach me like, like, that's just ridiculous. They shouldn't be doing that, acting, um, acting like monkeys. If I, if I can just be candid with you, that's what they said to me. Wow. And I said, well. It's not a matter of right or wrong because everybody knows it's wrong to steal. Everybody knows it's wrong to uh, commit violent acts to an innocent human being, right? But if I can point to a different direction, how do you think they feel? Or how do you think we feel? And it really didn't hit for me, Nancy. Um, cause I try to dance you, you talked about the news and I don't watch the news mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, good. So you sleep well too. Yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> Very well. Very well. I, I don't watch the news because they get paid for mass hysteria and people are naturally in this world, um, more defensive than they are offensive. Um, you, people remember failures more than they remember your successes, right? Cause it's the bad. We're triggered to find the bad. It's a survival instinct to protect ourselves from it. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, uh, this is the 
I, I put it on Facebook. I said, if it was my son, Grayson, that they did that to, or if it was your child, do you think you would react peacefully or unpeacefully? And I didn't have one person on my list, on my comments, say they would act peacefully. Black, white, Asian. Uh, because at that point, what it does is it makes it real for you. You know, you can't look at stuff objectively, and that's how the world looks at it. You're making it, a lot of people look at it objectively, like these people are just causing us taxpayers, me included, to pay more money because that's who's going to have to pay for all this to be repaired. I'm like, yeah, objectively, that makes perfect sense. For sure. But emotionally? Yeah. If somebody unjustly killed your son, I, I mean, I, I, I'd find it hard to believe that you wouldn't act out in rage or uh, if you did act in peace or if you did act peacefully, that, I mean, that'd be astounding to me. You know, especially being a cop, the person who's supposed to protect your son is the one who took his life. <laughs> you know? And so for me, that's when it hit home for me. And so what I came up with is this. I think the greatest potential for healing is heal yourself first. Figure out whatever racial, racial bias you have or whatever mm -hmm. racial bias you've learned. Find it. And like you said, target it and consistently work on it. Doesn't mean you'll be perfect. But you got to consistently, intentionally work on it. You well, have to you do it. We're both surprised by our by our results with the Harvard Implicit Project. And, Absolutely. Um, and that that goes to show you because because you know I went into that thinking I'm fine. <laughs> no, <laughs> that makes so two of us. <laughs> surprise. But you know, but that just you know. It's another place to work on. You know, I might jump in there and take a bunch of different ones and see where I stand oh. on ability and ethnicity and all the other things, too, and really maybe get a better snapshot of what's under the surface. Because if you if you find it and you know it's there, then you have that um, you have an opportunity to, to do some really good inner work on it. And and I think that that's really as an as a collective, we all need to do some inner work. And, you know, COVID's given us an opportunity to sit back and get quiet Absolutely. Um, we'll see who's doing it and who, who's not doing it, you know? And take advantage of that. Whoever hears this right now, take advantage of just getting quiet and getting by yourself. And just yes. really looking at yourself internally and, 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 and work on that. Because this is an incredible opportunity for that. So I'll, I'll ask you one more question. And it is, if you could give advice to an up-and-coming young black man right now yeah um your your son is still too young to be in the advice giving stage and probably isn't aware of really what's going on but if he were maybe 12 right now yeah what would you be telling him nancy i'm so glad you asked me that question and i've only told a few people this but my plan for my kids is i journal so I save all my journals. Yay. And it's going to be a gift for my kids after, you know, after I'm gone, they'll have all my journals, all the learning, everything I've studied um, in journal form, Brilliant. however many it is. But this is what, this is what I'd say to the younger generation. Or if, if it was, if Grayson was 12 years old, I would tell him, 
candidly. Racism is alive and thriving in America. In America. And honestly, it's going to take a long time to get it out. Mm-hmm. However, that does not leave you helpless. And you are not a victim. So with that being in place, what you got to understand is a knife is sharp. But just because the knife's sharp doesn't mean you cut your finger. There's ways around not to cut your finger, right? Get out of the way of that. So whenever it comes to cops, you don't have an ego. You do whatever he tells you to do. You don't have an ego whatsoever. Um, But when it comes to life, the only person you really can hold accountable is yourself. And the only person you can make better, forced to become better is yourself. You You can't force anybody to do anything except for yourself. So become the best version of yourself, right? And then intermingle. I wish I could give you a high five. (laughs) (laughs) Intermingle and learn the history, not only of our race, but other races. Mm -hmm. No, definitely learn, learn our race's history for sure. And don't learn it so you can hold a grudge. Learn it so you can see how far we've come. Learn it so you can see how far we've come so that gives you hope. If you look at it like a grudge, you'll never have hope. You always have anger, rage, and disappointment. If you look at it like we are progressing, because that's what every human wants to do. One, we want to be relational. we got to be relational. And two, we've got to progress. So look how far we've come. And then uh, <laughs> I would say... One movie that Denzel Washington did, and this line is forever stuck with me. It's the hurricane. And that was the, he was definitely raising a prejudiced time, goes to jail. Um, but at the end, he says, look, hate got me locked up, but love will set me free. So in this situation, mm-hmm. we know racism is hatred. Yeah. You know, uh, racism, just for a definition, because I was curious, it is the belief that a race is primarily determined by the human traits, capacity, and race. And that produces an inherent superiority of race. So, um, and that's on both sides. I think black people are racist as well. I want to make sure I put that out there. I want to make that clear. Um, race is not, is not one-sided. It's, it's definitely both-sided. But I think the only way you can overcome racism in the United States is by, first of all, loving yourself and seeing yourself as a person. Because if you don't see yourself as a person, uh, as a good person, as a person who's worthy of love and every opportunity that you can create with your imagination, then nobody's going to treat you like that. They won't treat you like that. But if you see yourself like that, then no, I mean, people can treat you like that and it won't change who you are. Often when people don't know who they are, they act like so many different people. They say a double man, a double minded man is unstable in all his ways. But if you know who you are and you're solid in that racism doesn't matter. In my opinion and in my experience, because the greatest thing you do is love and choose to forgive. Cause that's what the black race is going to have to do. Forgive. And there's some healing to do for sure. For sure. But I want to make sure this is clear, Nancy. I believe it's possible. 
I do too. I do too. And I, I, it's going to take some, it's going to take effort and it's yeah. possible. Yes. Well, Stephen, it has been such an incredible pleasure talking with you today. And of course, we'll have the information for the podcast up soon and you can find it at friendsonhand.com. Awesome. And nancytiltonhand.com. And guys, it is all about connection. If you would like to get in touch with Stephen and book him for your next speaking event, you yeah. can find him on Instagram at the underscore passionate underscore thinker. And if any of this resonated with you and you learned to have yearn to have deeper and more meaningful friendships and more supportive professional networks, let's connect. Reach out to me at nancytiltonhand.com. I would love to support you in learning to network like a natural and make friends like the connector you really are. And please remember to give us, share this with your friends and give us some likes on Instagram and Facebook. And five <laughs> stars on the iTunes. And remember, friendships make you smarter, happier, stronger, healthier, and wealthier, not to mention being absolutely fun and fulfilling and joyful. So get out there and make a new friend, and I'll see you next time. Thanks, Thank Stephen. Yes, yes, ma'am. Thank you. You rock the Casbah. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>